0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 29. Uh, we'll be looking at um, just the first verse of Proverbs 29 this evening. Um, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been working our way through Proverbs and we're nearing the end of that journey. And um, we actually come this evening to what is probably the last chapter of That Solomon wrote. Um, There's two more chapters in Proverbs, of course, Proverbs 30, Proverbs 31. Uh, But this is probably the last one that Solomon wrote. And um, so we can think of chapter 29 sort of as Solomon closing out um, Proverbs. And um, as you might expect from Solomon, as he closes out, at least his section of Proverbs, um, he closes out in a way that's very fitting. Uh, Verse 1 especially, And this might strike you as a strange observation. Verse 1 especially is a fitting way to end uh, Proverbs, or at least begin ending Proverbs. And we'll see why later, but we'll read verse 1 of Proverbs 29, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Verse 1 of Proverbs 29. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you for the infinite richness of your word. We thank you that we could meditate our whole lives on a single verse and not exhaust its riches. And we pray that that would be our attitude towards your word, that it would be the sweetest, richest thing to our souls. And we pray that even this evening that would be our experience, that you would change each one of us so that our greatest delight might be in you as you reveal yourself to us through your word. And as you reveal the way of wisdom, may we treasure wisdom. May we be humble before you that that we might glorify you. And may you further our humility this evening. Feed us all upon your word. May this evening be a, a fat and rich feast our souls. for your glory, for the good of our neighbors, help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to look at three things this evening. Firstly, I want to look at the picture that this verse paints, because it paints a picture. You might not think of verse one as painting a picture, but it does paint a picture. And when you think about the picture it paints, it's actually a very jarring picture picture, but it is a picture nonetheless. So that's the first thing I want to look at. Secondly, I want to look at why it's a fitting picture for Solomon to begin closing out the book of Proverbs. Why do I say that this jarring picture is a fitting picture to finish the book with, or begin finishing the book with? And thirdly, as we close, I want to look at what we should take from all of that. Firstly, this picture. This jarring picture. I want to think about the picture that's painted in verse one. I wonder if you've ever seen someone break a bone before. It makes you recoil, doesn't it? If you've ever seen someone break a bone, whether in real life or watching a video, it just there's something about it that that makes you recoil and just react in a real visceral way. I remember during the World Cup last year, the Rugby World Cup. You might remember this. Remember the All Blacks were playing Namibia and one of the Namibian players uh, fractured his ankle. And it's really interesting watching the footage of this player fracturing his ankle because you have these tough All Blacks. Like I remember seeing Adi Savia. Just, he couldn't look when it happened. He's this tough guy, right? Macho man. And even he recoiled seeing someone uh basically break a bone. Even he had to turn away. And when you think about the imagery of verse 1, it is that kind of imagery, that kind of jarring imagery. In fact, it's worse than a fracturing an ankle. Just think of it. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. What's the picture? Well, it's a picture, it's a jarring picture. It's a picture of pressure being applied repeatedly over and over and over again and resistance to that pressure and then suddenly snap and it's all over. That's it. It's a jarring picture. And there's four things that I don't want to zero in on. Firstly. Think about the violence of this picture. This isn't a stubbed toe. (laughs) This isn't a grazed knee. This isn't a sore back. This isn't ringing in the ears. This is a broken bone. It's not just any broken bone. This is the worst bone that you can break. It's, It's a neck. This is a violent picture. Secondly, think about the finality of this picture. Some broken bones can heal. I remember my daughter, she's... Four now but she fell off a park bench once and she broke her arm and I think she was two at the time and she had an operation on it and she's 100% today her, her arm is healed up perfectly, she has a little scar but that's it It's it, it was it was coming back from that break it wasn't final, it wasn't it She's she's okay now but notice here there's no going back with some broken bones there's hope here there's no hope Solomon closes with these awful words. Think about these words into the verse. Broken beyond healing. So there's not only this violence to the picture, there's this finality to the picture. Thirdly, think about the suddenness of the picture. There's this interesting mix in this verse of of both gradual and sudden. And, And that adds to the the jarring nature of the picture being painted. Just this week, we had a rat in our laundry. Henry could hear something in the walls. Carol went out. She noted by the nature of the fecal matter on the ground that it was more than just a mouse, and um, and so we went. Carol went and got a rat trap, and she baited it with peanut butter. But the rat, and this happened a couple of times, would just eat the peanut butter off the trap, and then go on its merry way. And, you know, I said to Carol, it's either a really bad rat trap or it's a really amazing rat, right? But anyway, it turned out to be the rat trap because it was a different rat trap and we baited it with peanut butter and caught the rat. So you go in there in the morning, there's the rat dead in the trap. Now, just think with me. I know it's, it's, it's not the most comfortable thought, but just think about the experience of that rat for a moment. What would it be like to be in its shoes? Here you are, the rat. You go up to the trap, you eat the peanut butter, and you're fine. And then next day, there's more peanut butter there. The rat thinks, wow, they like me. <laughs> They're feeding me. You go up, you eat the peanut butter, you're fine again. You, you get away with it. And maybe you think, wow, this is... I Tell my friends about this place. (laughs) But then you go there the next day. There's the peanut butter on the trap. You go, you eat it, and you're not fine. That's it. That's something of this picture. Someone reproves me. Maybe you're reading the Bible, and, and it says you should do this, or you shouldn't do that. Maybe someone confronts you personally and says, you shouldn't do that or you should do this. Maybe you hear a sermon. In any case, you stiffen your neck. You say, no thanks. You said you don't listen. You don't heed. You don't repent. You don't turn. And just like the rat with the peanut butter, you get away with it. Nothing happens. You ignore the reproof. You stiffen your neck and you're okay. You don't turn and you're okay. You get away with it. Then it happens again. Someone reproves you. You hear something in a sermon, you read something in the Bible, some sort of reproof, and you go, no, I'm not going to turn, I'm not going to soften my heart, I'm not going to come to the Lord, I'm not going to confess, I'm just going to carry on. And you get away with it again, and you're fine. And you think, wow, this is working out for me. Not turning, it's working out for me. And it just reinforces your confidence. And you say, I didn't listen to them. They didn't know what they were talking about. They clearly didn't know what they were talking about because I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, this verse says, that's it. That's it. And it's all over. Whack, and it's all over. So there's this really interesting mix of of gradualness and suddenness. So there's a suddenness of this picture that adds to the jarring nature of it. Fourthly and finally, there's a definiteness, if I can use that word to this. Solomon doesn't say this sometimes happens. Solomon doesn't say this might happen. Solomon says no one gets away with this. There's a definiteness to this jarring picture of sudden and final violence breaking a neck beyond healing. And as I said in the beginning, this is a very fitting picture for Solomon to close out with, to paint as he closes out his part of Proverbs. And so we come to our second heading, a fitting picture. Now, there's at least two reasons why this is a fitting picture. Firstly, you might not realize this, but there's a sense in which this is where Solomon began Proverbs. If you've ever watched a good movie or read a good book, you'll know that narratives, stories, films and books often work in a circle. They often follow a circle. That is, they end where they begin. Good stories often do that. So we just, for example, finish reading The Hobbit, And it starts at home. It's Bilbo Baggins. And the challenge to adventure comes, and he answers the challenge to adventure. He goes off on his adventure. He faces adversity and difficulty, and it changes him. And then where does the book end? Back at home again. If you if you pay attention to to movies and books, that's so often the, the the line of the story. It's a circle. Good stories are like that. They end where they begin. Solomon does something similar. In the same way that, that Bilbo Baggins comes home at the end of the book and everything's the same, but in a sense nothing is the same because he's completely different, Solomon does something similar. Solomon opens Proverbs with very kind of similar jarring imagery. These are the words of lady wisdom in Proverbs 1. This is where Solomon begins Proverbs Listen to this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and Fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. But then listen to this. This is Proverbs 124. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Same word as in chapter 29. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. You think about those words that Solomon opens Proverbs with. There's a jarring quality to them. There's, there's, uh, I mean, just think about it. This is chapter one. And this is our first meeting with Lady Wisdom. And this is what she's saying. Just think about how jarring this is. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Can you imagine meeting someone and during your first meeting, they say, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Imagine that being your first impression of someone. That's one of our first impressions of Lady Wisdom. It's jarring language. If you don't listen to me, I will laugh at your calamity. There's a jarring quality to these words. And so that's the imagery with which Solomon opens Proverbs. And it's of a piece with the imagery with which Solomon closes Proverbs. And so that's the first reason it's fitting. Solomon is ending the book nearly, basically, where he began the book with this jarring image, these jarring words. That's the first reason it's fitting. The second reason it's fitting, that Solomon should close out the book in this way, is this. If you've worked your way through Proverbs, as we have during our evening services, if you've worked your way through Proverbs all the way up to verse 1 of Proverbs 29, what has happened repeatedly? What has happened to us repeatedly? Or say you've been reading through it at home. You read all the way from chapter 1 all the way up to verse 1 of chapter 29. What has happened repeatedly to you in that reading or in that hearing of Proverbs? To borrow the word that Solomon uses in verse 1 of chapter 29, what has often happened? The answer is you've been often reproved. That's what's happened. If you work your way through Proverbs, you will be often reproved. As it talks about not being lazy, as it talks about talking too much, as it talks about pride, as it talks about folly, as it talks about adultery, as it talks about delighting in understanding, as it talks about delighting in wisdom, as it talks about delighting in, it talks about humility. As it talks about all of those things, it is Proverbs. Proverbs is reproving us. It's correcting us. It's challenging us. It's exhorting us. It's doing verse 1 of Proverbs 29. And so it's very fitting for Solomon to close out the book using this imagery because he says, as it were, if you stiffen your neck to that reproof, the reproof that you've received over and over and over again throughout this book, you might get away with it for a while. But there will come a day when verse 1 happens if you stiffen your neck, if you don't turn and you will be broken beyond healing. And, you know, putting those two things together, the fact that Solomon ends the book the way that he begins and the fact that we've been reproved over and over and over again throughout the book, there's a sense in which our journey through Proverbs should be kind of like that story circle that I mentioned. You work your way through the book, and you come to the end of the book, And just like Bilbo Baggins, you're back where you began. And everything's the same, in a sense. But in another sense, nothing is the same because you've been changed. You've been worked on. You've been transformed. You're different because you've let Proverbs change you. You've let Proverbs make you a happier, wiser, more humble, more loving person. And that should happen over and over and over and over and over again throughout your life as you continue to work through the book of Proverbs. You should always be looking back on your life, on yourself, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and thinking, I'm different from how I was then. My past self was an idiot. And I know that's uncomfortable to do that, to look back. You kind of look back on yourself in the past and you cringe. You have these awful memories of how silly you were at age 19, age 20, age 25, age 30. But as, as, as difficult as those moments are, you should rejoice in them. Because if you don't think that your past self was an idiot, there's a really good chance that your present self is an idiot. <laughs> Very good chance. And Proverbs does that work as we work our way through it over and over and over again, it continues to change us. It continues to transform us. It continues to make us wiser and wiser. It continues to make us more humble, more holy, more happy, of more use to our neighbors, and so forth. But here I want to move to our final here. This is a jarring picture. It's a fitting picture. And it is finally a picture we should all hate. What should we take from this picture? That's the question I want to answer as we close. I'm going to look at three things. Firstly, this verse shows us that we are our own worst enemies. We are our own worst enemies. Why is it that the man in this picture is subject to such a sudden, final, and violent end? It's not because he's the innocent victim of some horrific attack. This is completely his own fault. Reproof came, and he stiffened his neck. He said, maybe, I don't need to change. I don't need to turn. I don't need to listen. I don't need to listen, as Proverbs tells me about being lazy, talking too much, pride, folly, delighting in wisdom, delighting in understanding, and so forth. I'm fine. And he was fine for a while, until suddenly he was broken beyond healing, and it is all his own fault. And I say that to say this, we are our own worst enemies. You are your own worst enemy. Better said, your pride is your own worst enemy. Notice verse 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So do everything you can to kill your pride. When reproof comes, don't assume that you don't need to hear it. Don't assume that whatever is being said is being said about someone else. Assume it's about you and that you need to hear it. For we all need to hear it and we all need to heed it. Secondly, this verse shows us that just the positive allurement of wisdom isn't enough. You probably all heard the phrase to use a stick and a carrot, right? Use the stick and the carrot. In other words, there's two ways of motivate, motivating people. The carrot as an in incentive, allurement, and then the stick as in disincentive. And in Proverbs, there is both, isn't there? In Proverbs, you have the carrot, don't you? You have over and over and over again throughout Proverbs this beautiful picture of wisdom, life as it should be, life at its fullest. You have that picture painted, and you have that free invitation to everyone to come and eat of wisdom's feast. You have that. But you also have stick. And we need this stick. We need to know, if we go on refusing humility and stiffening our neck against reproof, there will come a day where there won't be any going back. And we don't know when that day will be. Could be today. So we shouldn't do it. Instead, we should humble ourselves before reproof, before the reproof of God's word, before it's too late. Finally, though, if you can hear God's word this evening, then you can be assured it's not too late. It's not too late to turn. Because there was a man who was perfectly humble. There was a man who never stiffened his neck against reproof. In fact, he stood in no need of reproof whatsoever because he loved his neighbor perfectly every moment of every day, and he loved his father perfectly every moment of every day, and he lived a perfectly wise and humble life. But then at the end of his life, what happened? He was broken. Just like the imagery of this verse, not one of his bones was broken, but his body was broken so that anyone who comes to him in faith, empty, acknowledging I'm weak, sinful, help me, save me. They will be welcomed and accepted and healed. So come to him, whoever you are, trust in him and him alone and let the humility you see in him be reflected in your own life, being humble before God and others as he humbled himself you. Will you pray with me as we close? Our gracious Father, we thank you that the one who stood in no need of reproof took our punishment for us on the cross. He was broken for us so that we might not be broken. We thank you for that and we pray that you would teach us humility more and more every day as we behold the humility of Christ and his love for us and his dying for us and his taking our sin upon his shoulders. We thank you that he has done that. And we pray that we would rest and rejoice in that and live every day in light of it. In his name we pray. Amen.